What's up? Welcome back to Unemployed with Anna Roisman. This is the podcast for employed people, unemployed people, freelancers, I don't know, dreamers, uh, people sitting on their couch. I don't know. Thanks for listening to this. I appreciate you. I'm here with Ellen. Ellen, how are you? Great to be back, Anna. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Ellen, you're a part of this now. You're a part of the unemployed family. I oh, hope really? You're... I thought I was just, you're booking me as a guest every week. I hope your loved ones are okay with your new branding, uh, you know, as, as one of your credits of being on unemployed. I'm sure it's week. very confusing. <laughs> but you know what? Not my problem. Nope, not your problem. You live your life, girl. You're an adult. I'm just living um, my life. I have something funny to tell you. I have to admit. So you know how okay. we shit on LinkedIn a lot? Yes. We shit on, on LinkedIn too much for the Unemployed Podcast. They could be a great sponsor for us. So if you do know someone at LinkedIn, contact me. We can we can edit things out. You know what I mean? Like we would love to work with LinkedIn. But let me tell you, I went on LinkedIn today. Okay, she's turning a corner. I went on LinkedIn today. <laughs> You're just going to check it out. What's going on here? Well, I, I found this company that I was curious about, and I was like, how can I contact someone here? Because I'm being proactive, you know? I'm actually listening to some of the advice we get from our guests, and uh, Andrea was like very I, – I love that she was just like, yeah, I wanted to email this person because I wanted to work there. Yeah. And I thought – I found this company that I thought would be a good fit. And I was like, oh, cool. I'll just like email someone there and like be like, hey, here's what I do. Wouldn't okay. it be fun if we could possibly collaborate together? Could sure. not find an email on the internet. Okay. I even went to their website. They're a tech company. So of course I went to their website to like hit contact and I sent a nice email. And that's going to go in their tickets of like, uh, <laughs> like <yeah. laughs> help problems with the app or whatever it is. And I'm like, mm. oh, God. And then they're going to be like, hi, I'm Anna Roisman, and I'm a comedian. And <laughs> <laughs> they're going to be like, I don't know what to do with this ticket. Um, yeah. So I went on LinkedIn and I looked at the company. I was like, oh, maybe I can find a contact through there or whatever. I really tried to do some research. I was digging and uh, couldn't find an email. So I, <laughs> I DM'd the CEO. <laughs> Amazing. And I think at one point, you know, it was a nice, short, but sweet note. And at one point I was like, uh, thank you so much for reading this. Or if you ever read this, first time DMing someone on LinkedIn for business. <laughs> I like that you threw that in there because it's like, isn't this weird that I'm DMing you on yeah. LinkedIn? I also responded to an old DM that I had from someone at this uh, comedy festival that like reached out to me that I couldn't help. I, you know, I felt bad, but I was like, sorry, I don't usually check my LinkedIn DMs, but <laughs> hey, <laughs> did today. <laughs> uh, keep me updated on if that CEO responds to you. I'm I interested. Know. I'm wondering if he's going to be like, this person's obviously insane, like lock her up. She's crazy. Or if they're going to be like, wow, what, what a bold move, you know, like what a young go getter. Yeah. Let's interview her. <laughs> like she just fucking DM CEOs all over LinkedIn. I love her energy. <laughs> One time I DM'd my uncle who I've kind of like lost <laughs> touch with on LinkedIn because he that's the only I couldn't find like an email or a phone number or anything. Really? And he never responded. <gasps> <laughs> that's cold. Your own flesh and blood? Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure if he even checks his LinkedIn messages. It could be a number of things. He could be ignoring me or, you know, it could just be 
he's 60 something and doesn't check his check his LinkedIn messages. Wow. Yeah. At any age. I'm sorry to hear that though. You know, I, I'm oh, it's ex- no, no big deal. <laughs> he's kind of you an asshole. Like, anyway, hey, but- I'd like to mend our relationship over LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was actually like, I was looking for information about my grandparents Oh, okay. And I think that he might have some information about them, but it's just like, this okay, is, good. I'm, I'm glad. Sorry, I'm messaging you on LinkedIn. <laughs> I'm glad you were reaching out for information because my brain was like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> you know, and then I was like, trying never. to reconnect with him over LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I've, no. I have a family member and she comments on every freaking post my sister posts. Um, but I guess she hates me uh, since my grandma's funeral, and uh, she'll never listen to my podcast. That's fine. And she deliberately, like, will not – has. I haven't spoken to her in three years, like, will not – or two and a half years, however long it was when my grandma died, will not contact me, will not comment on anything. But, like, my sister can post her fucking forefinger or pointer finger, and she'll be like, what a beautiful finger, you know? Like, literally, it's, it's, wow. it's weird. It's cold. Yeah, that's – that is very cold. Right? Life's short. People are too fucking <sighs> cold. Families. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Everyone has their shit, though. You know, they're also the family members who are like, are you still trying to be an actor? What, you, what does that mean? Are you trying to make it in Hollywood? You know? And you want to be like, mm-hmm. fuck you. That's all I want to say. Fuck off. <laughs> Either support me or don't. And, uh... That's it. That's yeah, all. fuck you, family member. How is your dream of becoming a whatever your dream was going? Yeah, right? What do you do with your life? Fine. You have a house? Okay, I rent, <laughs> and it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have a roof deck. It's pretty cool. <laughs> My roof deck is pretty fucking cool. You got to come over to the roof. Roof's, roof I'm season's over. happening. Yeah, we're doing it. Maybe roof we'll season's a, about to happen. Maybe we'll record a roof pod episode. It'll be a little loud, but maybe it'll be like... Nice. Yeah, it would be nice. Something different. (laughs) Not for for any of you listening, but stick with it, guys. Also, I want to talk to the listeners for a second. We have a nice – I love you guys. We have a nice, consistent group of people who listen every week. If you had ever find it in your heart to share this podcast with other friends or, you know, uh, to maybe rate it, review it. Usually we say this at the end, but I'm saying it in the beginning because it would be – it means so much. It's so little. They give it like a little couple stars, more than a couple, right? Five stars – Write something you love, you know, about us, about Ellen's yeah, hat. About me. You know, write yeah, a review write that you has something about me in the review. I would really love that. Yeah, Ellen <laughs> needs to send this to her uncle, okay? She needs to prove that she's a legit human being on the Unemployed Podcast. So yeah. Write a review about Ellen. No, but really, it really helps us out. I know there's so many podcasts out there, so I'm appreciative that you're even here listening to this, but it would really mean a lot to us. And yeah. uh, and we do have that Patreon. You can throw $5, $10 our way uh, to that Patreon. $6. $6. I don't know if you can do that, but you know what? Maybe. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't, sorry. Um, yeah. But we have a great episode today. I'm so excited for our guest. He's a very, very funny stand-up comedian. You might know him from Comedy Central or Conan or his set on Fallon. He also has a great podcast with his girlfriend called She Does Stand-Up Too. Uh-oh, we're going find out more about that we've got matthew broussard on the pod hello hello thanks for having me thank you for doing it 
Um, I feel like I've seen you a couple times in quarantine. <laughs> yeah, we've yeah we've been in parks yelling at people. I think <gasps> yelling at people or doing some Rooftop. Jewish sketches. Yeah, right. A lot of Jewish stuff. Yeah, we're COVID, like the yeah. the only Jews, I believe. Uh, there are very few of us who do comedy, you know, in in all of New York City. So it's it's amazing getting booked on these gigs. <laughs> well. The thing about a global pandemic is it uh, it kind of wipes the hypochondriacs out of the uh, <laughs> potential clients list. And uh, I right. think that's why we've had less competition on that front. They're like these young stand-ups, they'll, make, they'll do anything to make money at this COVID. <laughs> Who cares? They'll be there. They'll get tested. How have you been, though? How is your life outside of, of these few gigs that I've seen you? My life is good. I've been city biking. I've been reading a lot of sci-fi books. I've, I have I have a cat. He's the light of my life. Aw. Um, yeah, his name's Password. Ellen, Ellen got a kitten in quarantine. Ooh, mm-hmm. what kind? Light of her life. It's like a little gray cat, all, just all gray. Ooh. Yeah. Aren't they? She's yeah, really cute. Just, it's, uh, it gets me back home faster to have him waiting for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he he meows. He like yowls as we come down the hallway. He hears us. He's very codependent. He, uh, oh yeah, yeah. especially after this, our dog is like. I, I go to Whole Foods for an hour, and we come back, and he's like lost his fucking mind. Like we left him for years, and it's like, oh my god. We left for a week. We did a week trip without him. We usually bring him with us wherever we go, and we had friends come over every day to like play with him. Yeah, um, but I got home. And I spent a day with him before Laura came back, and he uh, pooped on our day bed. <gasps> he pooped, pooped on our trundle bed. Oh shit! And he was pissed. I, yeah, I didn't realize that's how they act out. That was his. Uh, <laughs> that was his teenage rebellion. Because <gasps> he knows also, where to poop. I was gonna say I didn't realize. I mean, I've realized it, but like when you said what kind of cat, it took me many years as a do- as a person who grew up with dogs, and I have a dog. To I was like, oh, there are breeds of cats too. <laughs> It's like wine and beer. It's it's pretty hard to tell the differences between different types of red wine. Beer will have like a blueberry flavor, right? Right. The wine, you have to have a more discerning palate. And when you know those differences, boy, are they special. Uh, th- thank you. That's a beautiful metaphor. I'm learning so much already. <laughs> I love it. So have you been working in the pandemic? Obviously, you've done Yeah, yeah. I've been doing stand-up, uh, filmed... Filmed something recently. Uh, not going to say what it is because I don't want to jinx it. I just want to make sure I made the final cut before I yep. uh, before I uh, announce it. And um, yeah, I've been doing very much changed um, my standards for what I consider a good comedy show because I've had to perform in such strange uh, environments. Oh yeah, um, but but stayed sane and stayed financially afloat. So. Uh, God, yeah, God bless. Yeah. God bless. I know it's going to feel so good. You know, back when you did shows every night and you had like a big audience, you know, mm-hmm. not that you t- we take it for granted, but don't you feel like it's just going to feel that much better now that you've had a year of like Zoom and rooftops and backyards and <laughs> parks? Yeah. <laughs> I did the cellar this weekend. They had their opening weekend oh, like nice. a week or two ago. And uh, didn't like my sets, didn't like the crowd. <laughs> Already back to taking it for oh, granted. No. I was like, I was like, I, you know, I mean, because when everything's perfect, then you have to do well. What's fun about doing those rooftop shows is that there's, you know, no, there's no threshold you have to hit. So if it's just, you know, if you just hear laughters or see smiles, you're like, hey, I'm doing it. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's true. <laughs> well, I hope it gets better. It'll be fine. You probably were. Fine, no. you, me you me taking yourself- stuff for granted is fine. That is that is <laughs> where we should be. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk. Obviously, on this podcast, we talk about jobs. Jobs you've had. Anytime you've lost jobs, or you know, any funny stories you have. So I like to take it back first to teenage Matthew growing up. You know, what was like the first job you ever got? Um, lifeguard. I lifeguarded for a summer. I was a substitute lifeguard. So they just plugged me in at every pool and I sat around and I read and I did nothing. Uh, there were <laughs> days where it was rained out, never saved anyone. And I would, I just sat there nervous that I would actually have to do it because they teach you, you take this one week course where you learn nothing. It's like a driver safety course. You're like, yeah. I, I don't know what would actually happen. And, um, just, just sat on my butt making $8 an hour. So Nice. That was my where, summer. where did you grow up again? You're from the South. Uh, Atlanta. That was in Atlanta. Cool. I think that was my first job. Yeah. Nice. Did you sure know summer. you wanted to like be an actor or comedian when you were young? No, not at all. No, I was a I was a math kid, so I thought I was going to be a some, somewhere between like a math teacher and an engineer. So that was that was it for me. Nice, nice. Yeah. So what? What after lifeguarding? How old were you then? You were like that was like sixteen. And okay. I was a Jewish summer camp counselor with my next job after that. Nice. I was pretty bad at it. Yeah. You were? Did you yeah. go to camp? I went to camp, yes. I went to camp in Bruceville, Texas. Uh, I think five summers. Yeah, I did five summers. And was this a, where you worked? Camper. And that was where I worked. I, yeah, the year between high school and college. I was a summer camp counselor, and I was way more interested in girls than my uh, than my campers. So That's exactly what happened to me, I was the worst. I went to camp for eight summers and then I went back as a counselor that same summer between like high school and college. Yeah, you're I not an terrible. adult yet. Terrible. I can't believe they put us in charge of children. <laughs> I know. I lost my virginity that summer to <laughs> the only counselor who wasn't Jewish. <laughs> oh, nice. You <laughs> yeah. rebel, you. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was hooking up with a counselor who was 10 years older than me, who was my counselor my when I was a camper, which feels so wrong to say now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but when I was 17, I was like, I am so cool. Like <laughs> 17 like, and 27? Yeah. <laughs> it's weird as 27 is now young to me. He was Isn't like 26. And I was like, he's so old. And like, I am so cool. <laughs> wow. That's, are y'all still friends? No, not at all. Absolutely okay. not. He like randomly, he was weird. And after the summer, this was, I, this is not my story to tell, but after the summer, we like drove back to get, I had a car and he didn't. And he was like, oh, you're, I'm from Philadelphia. He's like, you're driving back to Philadelphia. Like I'm in New York. Like we should drive back together. And we did. And he had told me he broke up with his girlfriend all summer and I drove him back and I had to use the bathroom and I used his like bathroom and there were like photos everywhere of her and I was like are you still together he's like oh well we broke up for the summer I was like I gotta go (laughs) I gotta get out of here like I'm the mistress now I'm like in your girlfriend's apartment like they live together I was like (gasps) whoa I know anyway that's just that's scary I didn't think that was gonna come out summer I, I, yeah, right? Like some bullshit line. And then I was just like, oh, that's awful. I never Was knew. it a, a Jewish summer camp? It wasn't Jewish. Like the camp wasn't a Jewish camp, but most people who went were Jewish. Like I know Jewish camps who did like Shabbat on Friday nights and stuff. Like we didn't do anything religious. 
That is such a foreign concept to me. Really? Because in the South, we, I mean, we had it was a Jewish summer camp. Jews in the South don't just happen to congregate. There are so few of us that if we're all <laughs> yeah. together, right. it's on purpose. Or if it's not, then something bad is about to happen. If I looked around a room, like, wait, everyone's here is Jewish. We didn't plan that. Like a bomb's about to go off. Like oh, no. it's just, it would be alarming. We was it was that was the crazy part. We had one reformed Jewish summer camp for all of Texas and Oklahoma. Wow. One conservative as well, but like how many how many summer camps would you have for that same population in just New Jersey? Right? Yeah. That's crazy. Do you have siblings? Did you go to camp with uh, my brother uh, he went for one summer as a counselor and I was I had already been there so I showed him the ropes, but he was 5 years older. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> he did No, he didn't do much of that Jewish stuff. <laughs> um, not that when kind you of stuff. Went, I think he, like I was going to say, did you get in trouble, though, as a counselor? You said you were bad. Like, Yeah, I got downgraded. I was the Melahim counselor, which was like 13, 14-year-olds. So pretty fun, the oldest they could be before, like kibbutz, where they were more on their own. Um, and then after the first session, they downgraded me to um, below Nivim. What was it? Bonim, which was um, like four to seven-year-olds, which was a job. Like you're not, it's just such a harder job than all the other counselors. So I think I just did a very bad job and they're like, we don't want him in our unit anymore. I would, I would like skip stuff. I remember I'd stay out late and then like would miss morning activities. And I wasn't like mean to the kids or anything, but I was just very irresponsible. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel you on that. I can't believe they put you in charge of younger kids. Like normally if you're not good at being a counselor and you're like out partying, they're like, we don't want you to be in charge of kids. They're like, nope you're going to get younger ones. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah. I think and it was a good lesson of responsibility because I mean, that second, that second session was, yeah, I was, I was working harder. Yeah. I, I had younger ones first and then I was like, fuck this. I don't want to have to like be their parent. And then I, I was like, can I be with the 14 or 15 year olds? And like, yeah. I was, they were great because I was like smoking weed in the council room and I was like, it's bug spray. Shh. And they're like, you're so cool. No matter what I did, I'm like, I'll bring you pizza if you guys don't tell on me that I didn't sleep here last night. They're like, anything you want. I'm like, I love oh you guys. God. I should have been like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and then I would staff retreats when I was in my 20s. So when I was like 23. 22, 23, I started staffing retreats to those same camp. So the oh, same cool. ones were, yeah, very little responsibility, just kind of a free trip and free place to sleep for the weekend. And I had mo- fun the first, like, two times, and the third time, the kids just had f- fucking attitude. They were <laughs> high schoolers, and I was just like, this sucks. I don't like this anymore. <laughs> Where did you go to school? Um, I went to uh, high school in Atlanta. I um, okay. went to a, a Christian private high school. So I, I moved when I was 13 out of Texas to Atlanta, and I stayed going to the Texas summer camp. But I went to a yeah, Christian private high school called Love It in Atlanta, Georgia. I think I was one of two Jews or one of two practicing Jews That's in the great. whole school. So you were a Christian high school, one of two huh. Jews, and in the fall, winter, and then in the summer, you went to your very Jewish summer camp. Yeah. And, and even more distinct was when I was in Texas, I was living in Corpus Christi, which is far less Jewish than Atlanta, mm-hmm. um, had the highest teen pregnancy rate in the country. So there were all of these programs in place about abstinence only education. Uh, don't have sex. Sex is for marriage. You only have sex with the person you're married to and you wait and you can, it'll kill you. You'll die wow, if you have yeah. sex. Um, 
Um, we are, I mean, our high schools had daycares. It was, it was just so common. People were having sex so young. And then we went to Jewish summer camp where they're like, please have sex. Please have sex with each other. <laughs> we need to make All more right. of us. It's like birthright. They're like, please find make each other. Jewish babies. Yeah. Stay here. We want you here forever. That's wild. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> And so you did, and you then you were like, "Wow, this is more fun than camp." (laughs) (laughs) Who needs to be a counselor when you can just like drink and have sex? That's that's more fun. That was the wildest I think I ever was when I was a camp counselor, just because you it felt bad, felt cool. Yeah. So I never smoked weed though. Yeah. You didn't at camp? Not then. No, I didn't smoke till after college. Wow. He's a good guy. Yeah, you're good. Mm-hmm. You were you were straight up. Good guy. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you go to college? A school called Rice University in Houston, Texas. Okay. And yeah. did you have to work while you were in college at all or did you just do school? I was a, a, a I was manager of the women's swim team while I was there, which was um a job that mostly consisted of uh, coaching the other programs, the uh, masters, which is like the adult swim team. And the age group swim team. So I, I would spend a lot of time doing that. I would do some stuff for the team. I would do some like recruiting documentation. I would do tours. I would do uh, like equipment management. Um, it wasn't as much work as it sounds, but it was a, it was a good scholarship. And mm-hmm. uh, um, I, I really loved swimming. I was a fan of swimming. So it was, it was fun to be around the sport, even though I wasn't doing it. And um, uh, built a good connection. Like I was, um, not as good that, as that, that job, my, my like freshman year when I was coaching and I got in trouble one time, like with one of the people on the team, they're like, you're not really trying when you're coaching, your sets are not well structured. And you're, you're like, and, uh, I started taking it more seriously. And then after college, I volunteered, uh, coach for the team on Sundays, um, out of nice. uh, like a debt of gratitude to, to how much that, that scholarship did for me. And then they let me swim for free the rest of the week. So it was a pretty good deal. I just coached Sundays and I, I enjoyed coaching. I enjoyed writing sets. It was, it was just fun. I liked the people. So that was, that was one of my jobs as well. That's nice. I didn't know you had this connection to swimming aside from your girlfriend who I know is a swimmer. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's, that's the reason I know her. I was a big fan of her. No way. Like, I knew, I knew her. So yeah, she was a professional swimmer and I, uh, I watched the sport pretty. I mean, I watched it the way you know, people watch regular sports like baseball or football. Uh, and I, I knew of her and then, uh, we kind of connected over Instagram. So did she know of um, you as a comedian? Not really. I, <laughs> one of, there was a, there was a girl who did, was in the comedy and swing worlds who was friends with her. So via her, I think that girl showed her my stand up. Got it. And, um, so she, I wasn't a complete, uh, cold call when I messaged, <laughs> but pretty close to a cold call. Um, I love and that she answered. Yeah. Um, that's funny. Cause I did want to ask you about your podcast. Cause I think it's cause she, then she was a swimmer. You started dating and then she started doing stand up. Is that the order of, yes. She, didn't do so she was a swimmer since, since age five. Yeah. Oh, okay. so, sorry. She's, she's been swimming since age five. Um, and then I started comedy in 2011. Mm-hmm. I met her in 2016 and she started doing comedy in 2019. So we dated for over three years before she started doing stand-up. And she had always had an interest in it. She had an improv background okay. in Austin. So it was not out of the blue, but I think being around me might have uh, made her um, more eager to do it, just seeing it night after night. 
Um, and right. it's, it's been cool. And I, I always encouraged it. I was, when she told me she was interested in doing it, my first, the first thing I said was, you should try it. You should absolutely try it. I, I recommend it to everyone. If you have any interest in it, just sign up at an open mic and you'd be surprised how fun it is because the one, the one universal is, you know what I've met who's been doing stand up for any significant or, or even insignificant amount of time. You, you ask them how the first set went. Some people say good. Some people say poorly, but everyone says it was the most amazing time. Yeah. So, I was I was eager for her to just try it. And when she did, she was really in. And then the world shut down. So she, most of her comedy has been post-COVID, which has been very interesting to watch how how different of uh, of a path she's had to me. Yeah. I mean, what's crazy is, though, I feel like she's been very successful of comedians I know in COVID. Like her and Rachel have done this, like, awesome show that they've gotten cool guests. I did it once. It was so fun. I was like, yeah. wow. This is how you produce a show in COVID. Like this is a legit show. There's a big audience. It was fun. She's um she's a remarkably capable person. It's uh it's amazing that uh waking up at five a.m. to practice drowning for twenty years when you transfer that energy into other things, you can be pretty successful. Um, <laughs> and she just yeah she's it's I think swimming was just one manifestation of 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 her abilities and drive. And when she started stand up and she saw this kind of opportunity for these outdoor shows and yeah. for these safe COVID safe shows that we, 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 you know, we saw all summer, she started producing and, um, I had very little to do with it. Um, I mean, I'll take some credit in that she watched a lot of shows because mm -hmm. she was, you know, following me around. So she really knew how to run it and she adapted very quickly and now produces two weekly shows that are almost so always cool. sold out great lineups, great crowds. Um, and that's, that's produced a lot of stage time and opportunity for her. And she's grown as a result of that. So I'm, I'm nothing but proud. I love that. And then you were like, let's do a podcast about this because not everyone, yeah. the, <laughs> not the everyone reason, a couple who's a stand up couple. I don't know. <laughs> the reason we do the podcast was because I would tell people my girlfriend's doing stand up now. And the reaction <laughs> man or woman was, uh, What's that like? So there's the, everyone has this natural, natural apprehension to the idea. Um, and we wanted to just like address it. Our whole thing was like, let's just talk about it because there's a lot of interesting things that pop up, good and bad. Yeah. And um, it also, what it, what it became very quickly was a, uh, a good resource for advice because when you as a more veteran comedian get asked to give advice to younger comics, you kind of, um, what's that? What's the line of nostalgia? Fishing something out of the garbage and then and wiping off all the parts <laughs> you don't like. Yeah, it, it's that. Where, but but like really, the the real technical points of of help come up. We actually, I get to be like, oh, I forgot that that's a thing that young comedians struggle with. How do you ask to get stage time? How do you get a tape? What's mm -hmm. what's proper etiquette? What's proper procedure for when this pops up? So it's been a really good um, uh, instructional manual to newer comics. And we talk about like how different it is for men and women in comedy, which it's very, very, yeah, very, very different. <laughs> I've told that story on how I only performed at Gotham like three times because the booker asked me out and I said no. And then he bumped me the next two shows Whoa. for L.A. comics that were in town. And I was like, I hate this. <laughs> I was like, fuck this place. Like, <gasps> You know, shit like that. I'm sure all female comics have had that, you know, have gone through that. But it's it's stupid. It's stupid. Boo. Yeah. Boo-hoo. Anyway, yeah. But that's great that you guys started doing that together. Um, 
I wanted to know when you moved to New York, when was, when was like after college, did you come, you stayed in Texas, you said for like a little while, or did you come straight yes. to New York after? Oh, there's, there's a whole other chapter. Um, oh. I was in Houston. I had my first job. I worked as a curriculum editor at a math education nonprofit. And I got, I mean, I, what I really got was fired, but what really happened was they didn't want to kick me out of the company. So they transferred me from this curriculum editor job that I was very bad at. I was just failing miserably. Uh, my, my job was to take this, this math curriculum that was translated from Russian and look over it for like mistakes. Wow. Um, and like, I was just bad. I was just, it's not, that's not kind of, not the kind of work I'm good at. And they switched me over to the sales department, which was new, okay. um, just to keep me. And then I lasted maybe a year at that job, maybe less. And then I got offered a job in finance from a guy who I swam with, um, to be an analyst for a private wealth management fund. But that really just meant, uh, an Excel spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. jockey and uh, a coffee getter. And it wasn't as uh, robust of a financial career uh, as, uh, as <laughs> I would, I would have liked it to have been, but um, it was money. And that's when I started doing comedy. So it's about a year out of college. Okay. And um, the second I started doing comedy, I was just so in love with it that it immediately started taking a toll on my efficiency at work. I was out doing open mics every night. I was weekends. I was, if I was performing, wasn't performing in town. I was driving somewhere else. I was taking vacation days. I was sneaking out of work early to go to like a showcase in Austin. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, um, I booked a TV spot, um, while I was doing that job and doing comedy and I filmed it and I, I started getting representation and I, I came to my boss and said, I'm looking to move to LA. I'd still love to work part-time. And he says, uh, you can work we'll just see how long you last doing full-time remote. And I, um, that's amazing. They offered you that though. They it was were like, amazing. you and can it do full-time remote. <laughs> yeah. Um, I moved to Austin for that summer uh, because I had like a very small part in a movie, but it was a lot of scenes, but not much speaking. So I spent like two months living there. And then I moved up to San, I, then I drove to San Francisco to do a comedy competition that lasted two weeks and I had like no apartment to live in. I had all my stuff in my car. I was staying at my friend's place. And then like the night, uh, a couple days before the last day of the competition, my car got broken into and some important stuff was stolen. Oh no. Um, and I was uh, let go that day because of just how big of a mess up it was on my <gasps> part. And uh, I hold no grudges. It was the thing to do. <laughs> Um, but you were also yeah. in the middle of a competition. Like you had to get up on stage the day after your car's broken uh -huh. into and For you lost finals. your job. <laughs> For the finals of that competition. And I got last place, last place <gasps> in the finals. But then I drove to LA. I drove down to LA the next day. He powers um, on. Found, found a place to live that night. Uh, I think I've been looking for a place to live and I found it and I parked my car and I lived there for another four years. Holy um, shit. I also, I also drove straight to a show at um Santa in Santa Monica one of Sarah Mello's shows it was a really good she books really good shows in LA and uh I went up and I bombed I bombed that <laughs> show too because I was in such a beat up place I was jobless and homeless and, and uh bombed that show and she didn't book me again for years and uh drove and and met Sasha my new uh roommate and uh <laughs> fell asleep on the extra bed he had and set up a new life in LA, uh, which. Holy shit. You really 
went for it. I love this yeah. young, eager. You're like, fuck it. I don't care. It's the comedy for me. I got nothing else. But I had the comedy. safety net of a job, but then I lost it so fast. Yeah. And I was, I was so, bad at the job anyway. It wasn't just that. It was just for how pulled up, how much I was, I was over investing in standup. Yeah. Well, that happens. You know what you knew what you wanted yeah. to do then. And then it was like, fuck this. I don't need to make an Excel spreadsheet anymore. Like, You'll get it done, right? I feel like that happened to me at my day job. You'll get it done, but it's not like you care anymore. You're like, I know I'm out of, I need this for the benefits right now. So I'll do as much work as I need to do to stay. But Right. And the salary was low enough that he thought I was going to be motivated to like work my way up. I was like, I can subsist off of this. (laughs) Like (laughs) it was, it was a good salary, but like I should have, especially for finance, I should have been hungrier to like take over the firm and and you know really start a life and and i just i just thought finance seemed cool like all the kids i knew in college who were like social and smart went into finance so Mm -hmm. it just seemed sexy right i was like i have a math degree that'll that'll you know i'll use numbers there my mom liked the idea of me working in finance and uh i was i'd luckily say when you when you told her (laughs) the path has changed (laughs) not happy i mean she still isn't happy but um really yeah, she hates it all. Yeah, she hates the lack of stability in the field and doesn't get my act at all. And yeah, we were just talking about that before you came on. I was like, I have a aunt. You know, they're still like, how's how's that acting career you're trying to pave out for yourself? You know, and I'm like, I don't want to talk to you. I don't care. I don't, I don't need to explain. <laughs> My 15-year reunion, I think, would be happening this year, might be happening this year. And I'm just so prepared for something. Like, so you still doing that comedy thing? Yeah. Like, no, I quit. <laughs> yeah, I just I just quit. After all of that, I just stopped doing it. That comedy thing. I was yeah. talking with a comic the other night, and they were saying uh, – I did this show the other night, and they were saying how, like, their friends um, – we do this BuzzFeed thing like, you know, we're like talking heads on a BuzzFeed show for the last like year and change or more. And he was like, I do all these shows, you know, I tour, I do stuff. And like people see one line of me on a BuzzFeed thing and they're like, oh, my God, like you made it. And he's like, I do so many other things that I'm that I put on my resume that I'm so proud of. And like, that's the one thing you think I do. Like I do other things. I had that with Reader's Digest. Really? So I was like, oh, I, I opened Reader's Digest and your face was in the corner of the screen telling a joke. I was like, you know, that was a non-union project. Thank you for whatever they paid me. But that was not like, uh, that was not money I was depending on. Yeah. Yeah. Now they're going to come up to you and be like, Matthew Broussard of the Jubilong Seder? Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> you're famous in our community. <laughs> uh. Let's just I say watched- I spend a lot of time upstairs of Stand Up New York. <laughs> I watched the whole thing because I did it too, but we shot a different day. So I didn't know you were in it like until I saw it. But we watched. They- what did you say? I think they cut me almost in almost everything I did. So. No, you were in it a lot. Oh, really? I did a some lot. other thing in the suit that they cut. Oh, I don't know. I don't know what you were wearing. <laughs> oh, okay. It was like black and white or like gr- green and white. It was like funky the way they edited it. But it was, uh, no, you were in it a lot. You and Tori were in it. We watched the whole thing because I sang in it. They hired me to be a cantor, which was very weird. Um, wow. Is that on your business card, <laughs> comedian slash cantor? Now it is. You know, you co- we're all coming out of COVID with new hobbies. Like, I'm a fucking cantor at this point. 
Um, but yeah, we watched it all and then we didn't do a Seder. My mom was like, that was good enough. Like my parents were like, we're hungry. And that was great. I was like, there's a lot of people, a lot of jokes. It wasn't much of a Seder. They were like, we're good. I had one that was like an actual Seder with them. It was like, I think a different project where I actually like wore a suit and did like, now we do the, you know, Haroset or whatever yeah. it is. Like, and then, then they just used none of that for whatever reason. But it was like, uh, they like, I use curse words and they bleep it out being like, it's fucking time for the lamb bone. <laughs> <laughs> They're trying to make like an exciting Seder. It was like Aton's thing. And then uh, he was like, yep, none of it made the cut, but uh, here's your paycheck. I did a broken down. I was like, do you guys mind if I do like a Lord impression for this version of Dianu? And I like broke it down and did it like real slow and everything. And I was like, this will kill. And then they were like, can you do another version of just like normal Dianu? And I was like, sure, I guess. And that's the one that made the cut. I was Never like, had leaven bread in the desert. <laughs> I was like, you guys know I'm actually, I'm a comedian. I'm not, I'm not really like a, a cantor. And they were like, yeah, we're good. You could just yeah. sing it normal. <laughs> like, all right, I love whatever. when I don't have to be funny for those things. Like, oh, I'm just talking? That's a, that's so much easier than being funny. That's <laughs> a million times. Comedy is the hardest. It's like it's like it's like going on a walk versus parkour. That's the difference in those two jobs. <laughs> having to be funny versus just getting to talk sincerely. Uh, oh my god, that's so true. All right, so you were in LA, you're fresh faced in LA. You came, it sounds like overnight you drove to LA, got an apartment, did a show, and you were like, I'm here now, I'm ready to take on Hollywood. Uh, what did you yeah. do after you lost that job? For like, did you have to get a, a survival gig while you were I doing stand up? I didn't, I had money saved and I booked a NACA. Like oh. within, like very shortly within, I don't know if it was right before or right after, but I booked two NACAs, a regional in the Northeast, which went well. And then I booked nationals. And I remember I was flying out to that, like the nationals one on the way to the airport. It says, Boston airport is closed. Well, we will try rerouting you. And I had to fly into like, in horrible weather, I flew into Bradley was that Hartford, Connecticut. Okay. And then drove, rented a car and drove and barely slept. And I had a 10 a.m. showcase with a, a beat poet as the MC who brought me on. And I was, I've never had a set where it's the only time in my life where I'm like, this is a bad crowd. I'm going to will this into being a good set. And I just like forced it to be good. I was just like, no, you don't, you don't get to not laugh at this. There's too much on the line. And I booked like 40 shows. I was getting paid basically the minimum amount I had a college headliner can get paid, but I, I got so many of them and I did shows for the whole year and it just kept me afloat until I found, uh, um, a more respectable job uh, working for MTV2 as a fake news anchor. <laughs> nice. Yeah. MTV2. I remember the other the other oh, MTVs, yeah. right? There I feel was like, like every comedian's done something with MTV <laughs> at some point, writing jobs or whatever. Yeah, and there was like MTVU also. There was like yes. even younger MTV. <laughs> yes, that's I forgot about MTV University. Yeah. Mm-hmm. MTV2 was just, I think, Martin reruns. <laughs> and they're all shut down now. They don't exist. It's just, and then they'd uh, cut to you and you'd be like, hey, guys, I'm going to give you the news today on MTV2. Yeah. I did Guy Code, actually, which is weird to think back on. I was on the last oh, yeah. season of Guy Code. Yeah. A lo- I didn't know you did that. A lot of people I know did oh, Guy Code and Girl yeah. Code. The early ones, those guys all took off. The people who were on the first season – Schultz and Akash and DeStefano and mm-hmm. yeah, those those guys are. I mean, I think 
less because of that show, more just because they are that talented. And whoever was casting that show had a had quite a good eye. Yeah, um, that show was great. It was like the beginning of like the talking. I mean, you know, we've done so many talking heads shows. I feel like so many stand ups were, you know, got a break doing those kinds of shows, I guess. Truly. I was watching um, True TV was playing at like a cafe I was at in Miami and it was uh, World's Dumbest or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. And I watched it was like uh, Chelsea Peretti, um, <laughs> Christina Pazitsky, like all these uh, Doug Benson. It was all these people who like you watched. It was it must have been from years ago. It's like oh these people all have, like are like movie stars now. <laughs> and that's what that's what I think Reader's Digest is. That's the new feeder. That's the new talking head. There you go. Yeah, and my BuzzFeed show. They're like wow. And your BuzzFeed show and and Jubilong. <laughs> Jubilong's later. <laughs> It's the Jew code. That's what it really is. <laughs> yeah, they should have a Jew code show. That would that would be Jubilog should make that. You know, yeah. Aton he told me he's like I'm pitching I'm pitching to them next week. I was like, what? What are you? What's on the slate? <laughs> I know. Yeah, he's so funny and so hardworking. <laughs> so was MTV like the job that you were like, oh, I'm working in? In television now, I mean, you laugh, you you talk about looking back on it, and you're like, ah, MTV too. But like at the time, it was probably it probably felt great to book something like that. I mean, the money, the money was just like, oh, I don't have to sweat. Yeah. Um, I was I was hung up at that time on the fact that I was making money doing comedy. It was paying all of my bills, which wasn't much uh, overhead. But then, like, I couldn't get booked on shows in LA. Like really? I was living in LA and I couldn't get into clubs. I couldn't get on like uh, alt shows. I just hadn't put in the time of like networking and just, you know, making a name for myself. But I was just so, I would just, I would just, you know, it's that, that grind of just hanging out at shows every night and doing open mics. And uh, I got mm-hmm. real frustrated with that. Uh, but it was, it was cool to be, it was cool to be flown to New York. That was probably the coolest part about it. Having these trips to New York where the plane tickets cost more than what they would pay me. <laughs> and the hotel cost at least three times what they were paying. And then if I'd stay over a weekend and I could just do shows. And that was when I really fell in love with New York and decided I needed to live there at some point. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. How long was then, it until you moved here? Until my girlfriend made me basically until cause she was in Austin and I was in LA and we were dating long distance for about a year. Oh, wow. And we were like, we should live in the same city. And she understood that comedy uh, limited my options. And she said, so it's just LA or New York. I said, yeah, those are the two. And she says, do you have a preference? I said, wherever you find a better job, I'll, I'll meet you there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that ended up being New York. And, uh, that was, yeah, that was 2017. And, um, she hated it at first cause she's from Rhode Island originally. And she put all of like, she spent her whole life trying to get out of the Northeast and trying <laughs> to deny, you know, her, her New Englander road rage and yeah. all of that. And, uh, and we had, Ugh, quite a bad go of our first couple months here. Um, but she loves it now. We got, do, you, do you like it now? I've always loved it. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't ever want to leave. We were, we were here in April. This was four years ago. So 2017. And we were walking between shows. She was coming with me and she got punched in the back of the head, running <gasps> start. Someone just punched her in the back of the head What? Uh, while she was walking next to me. And they, you know, they ended up just running off and, um, that was our first taste in New York together. Fuck. And then we moved That's to Hell's awful. Kitchen. Yep. We moved <laughs> to Hell's Kitchen. And um, 
I had uh, an Australian. We were living at, we were subletting at this dude's place. It was a cool spot. Um, we're, um, I had a, tr- uh, a tour in Australia. And the morning of the flight, I realized I can't find my passport. So I just move everything I can into the other room, look through everything, can't find it, have to cancel oh, no. my reschedule my flight like two hours before. Um, and this isn't like a flight to Miami, too. This is to Australia. That's a nightmare. Yeah, and I, there was four comedians on the tour, and I'm two days late to the tour. And uh, I wake up the next morning early, uh, go straight to the passport station, and uh, get my passport. By, I get there at 7, I'm walking out at 10 a.m. with my passport, and when I check my phone, uh, Laura's calling, and I say, uh, hey, what's up? She goes, okay, don't panic. Oh, no. We're being evicted. We were never <gasps> supposed to sublet the place. The person who, the landlord there, um, is not allowing us to stay. We have to be out by tonight, so go home, pack up, and we've <gasps> got to rent a U-Haul and find a place to put our stuff before you leave for Australia tomorrow. Oh and you did all of that. And then Holy for two weeks, shit. we were homeless. <laughs> I was in Australia and she went somewhere else for two weeks. She was in like DC for two weeks for work. It was just, it was just, um, just a, an you avalanche these, like, of shit. Yeah. These happen to you. They're like 24 hour periods of like, Hey, you know, those like life changes, like moves and jobs and flights and tours and things. International. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to put it all on you at once. Because I was so relieved to get the passport. I was like, I did it. I can't believe I managed to find a new passport in time. Wow, I fixed everything. And then it's like, oh, here's a much bigger problem. It's like Breaking Bad. You're like, oh, they fixed that one thing. Now here's something much, much worse. Oh, oh my God. But you made it to the tour. Everything I went okay? I made it okay? to the tour two days late. And when I got on to – this is the funniest part uh, for comics. When I got to the tour, as I was getting in the elevator, one of the other comics was getting out of the elevator. And I said, hey, what's up? Because uh, I'm getting kicked off the tour because I got too drunk and did a lot of bad things. And I was like, okay, see ya. And my first thought was, oh, it's horrible. He did all that. And I hope he's okay. But the second thought was like, well, I no longer look like the irresponsible one on this tour. (laughs) (laughs) Two days late, not as bad as what that guy did. Oh, wow. Well, that's good. Then they were probably thrilled to have you. Yeah, I was a decent (laughs) decent replacement. Yep. Oh my goodness. Have you ever had any like any long periods of aside from this past year where you've just you know gigs have been not as consistent as you've wanted and I'm curious how you've like handled that, you know? We're kind of No, I mean it's it's hard to separate the last year out of it because when I think of like scary times financially, this was so much worse yeah. than everything else. Um but it's been since I got fired from that job in 2013, I've just just had nice consistency, never big. Like everything always seems to fall in just in the nick of time and yeah. just in the amount I need every year to feel like, oh, I'm not, I don't need to quit yet. There's mm-hmm. no financial reason that I should quit doing this. We talk um, about that with other comics too, how like you really need to just be doing it and not doing all these other you know, jobs that aren't comedy to sustain it. Like for some reason, if you're doing your day job or whatever, like it it takes away from what you really want to do. If you're really doing it, you Mm -hmm. get the gigs, you get the, you know, even the little videos or whatever, the non-union things like enough to push you along to the next, you know, 
Yeah, that's the thing. That's the question I hate the most is when people ask, what's your big break? And it's like, it's 10,000 things. It was was because I was at that open mic that night and that person saw me having to do that show. And then that show, there was that person there and they considered me for this project that they pitched me on. And then we did it, but that project failed. But then the director of that brought me back for this other thing. Like, it's just all of that. And Mm -hmm. you just have to take a billion shots. And I still do that. I still have so much trouble saying no to any opportunity knowing the butterfly effect of, uh, of, of opportunities it could, it could unleash. I do too. And I've tried to get better about it where you're like, no, I'm, I can say no. I did say no to something recently because I was like, that doesn't seem COVID safe. <laughs> it was like, ah. a sh- I was like, I'm sorry, it's a shoot in your apartment and it's, you're not paying, but you'll provide lunch. I'm sorry. I can't, <laughs> I can't. Yeah. Learning how to know has been say no. I think COVID has given me confidence that I don't need every little thing. Yeah. That definitely. I can say no. Yeah. I've, I've had a lot more belief in myself to like being like, you'll survive without this one. You can take a night off. I got mm-hmm. offered one thing that was, it was a lot of money and clearly no, no benefit otherwise, not good publicity, not like, uh, not like it would build me fans or build connections. It was mm-hmm. just money. And I said no, cause I didn't feel qualified to do it well. And, um, that weirdly felt really good. Yeah. It's like a power. Yeah. It gives you, I don't know. It's yeah. a power. power. Yeah. 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 I I did this one gig. And it was like a remote hosting thing for this website or whatever. And it was so stressful that night. It like crashed. And I was like, even though this is good money, like I physically like can't handle. They're not, they don't know what they're doing. This doesn't look good. (laughs) Yeah. This isn't something I plan to show anyone. So I can just say I'm good. I don't need to do it anymore. Nope. (laughs) Good. Uh, You know, Gerard Carmichael? Mm Mm-hmm. He was just such a big deal when I moved to L.A. And there were all these these stories about how he turned down one of the lead characters on The New Girl. And really? uh, I don't even know if it's true, but that rumor did so much for him. Same with like Aziz turned down Kimmel. Like the booker was like, we'd love to have you. It would have been his first late night spot. And apparently he like kind of like dodged it. And everyone's like, wow, he's so cool. Look at him saying no to stuff. But I, I think there's a uh, I think and they be, both got their own sitcom. So there you go. Truly. Yeah, <laughs> they did. OK. So next time I get offered a lead role in a CBS sitcom, mm-hmm. I'm going to be like, no. Yeah. Think about it for a while, you know, tell yeah. them next, next show, maybe the next one. It's all those, yeah. Regular series, regular roles I get offered. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, this has been so much fun. Uh, I love the, you know, I love talking to people who are really working in the industry and you're very honest about, you know, the fact that like you do have to do a billion things and a lot of people don't understand what being a comedian is because they think it's just getting on stage and, and doing a show at night. And it's, it's so many other things that you need to do. That's yeah. That's not the work to me. That's the reward from all the other stuff. Yeah. Like getting on stage and doing comedy like at a club is it's like that's the fruit of my labors. It's twenty five dollars. And it's like, you know, you, you the, the money is the, the smallest motivator. It's like all the clean shows you had to do, all the auditions, all of the pointless emails and scheduling. That's the work of it. Yeah. I know. And people always are like, and you, you act too. I'm like, you have to act. You have to do voiceovers. You you have to be in a commercial. How do you expect to pay health for health insurance? Like, unless you're going to get through SAG, which then you're, you know, 
It's crazy. Which I lost last year, by the way, because they oh. upped their minimum. They yeah. upped their minimum in, in the fucking pandemic. I remember there were a lot of big actors who were fighting this too. They upped it by over thirty percent. It yes. usually ticks up ten percent per year, just kind of gradually with inflation. They jacked it up. It's over thirty percent when cameras weren't on for yeah. nine months of the year. It's Do you have an acting background? Did you study acting? I did theater growing up, yeah. And I moved here to, like, do I, – I did a lot of, like, UCB improv and stuff. And cool. and then I decided to do stand-up. I guess in, like – when did I start? Probably, like, 2016, 2015, something mm. like that. St- wait, stand-up in 2015, 16? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You're really good. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I just started doing it then because I was like, I don't want to have to do improv rehearsals with everyone. And I I did some storytelling and I loved getting on stage by myself and like being myself. I was like, that's what I want to do. Wow. That's yeah. Laura was the same way of like once she did stand up, she was like improv never again. I don't want to rely on five other people being there to even be able to do the thing I want to do. <laughs> yeah. I also yeah. was like not good at it. Like I got what I needed out of it. You know, I, I could like nail a good commercial audition with my improv, but I was like, I don't need to do a fucking 30 minute set anymore of me playing these weird characters that n- no one will remember tomorrow. <laughs> like, <laughs> I yeah. never had the patience for improv. I'm I'm so impressed with people who can do it well. Yeah. I don't have Me it. Me too. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> acting too. too. But you act. Acting is really hard. I audition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I should say I audition too. Yeah. Sometimes they let me they let me on. <laughs> Sometimes they're dumb enough to yeah, actually pay me for it. <laughs> That's okay. But you also make a lot of stuff. That was the other thing I was going to say. We did that fun sketch earlier this year. It's been, you've been creative. You've been making all these videos with companies, uh, I feel like, in quarantine, which is very yeah. cool to like write a sketch and shoot a sketch in the middle yeah. of this. It's very rewarding to, because I've really only ever really done stand up. That's only been my only comedic outlet. And just to like write something and then see it get made and see other people make it good. The other actors can add to it. The, the, the uh, camera person, the editor, the special effects, how many other layers beyond just words can can yeah. make something funny. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I yeah. liked the sketch we did for with Dave Ebert. I love Dave. He can so say, fun. just pop, can you be in this sketch for a line? And I'd say, yes, he's like just one of those people you love to work with. You know how I met David? Guy We were uh, n- close. Uh, we were on Geico oh. together, but we were fake news anchors on MTV. The show I was a fake news anchor. I had a whole season. Me and Damian Lemon were hosting eight episodes, a full season with our face on it. And Dave Eber was the correspondent. He was oh, the I love funniest it. part of the show. Yeah, That's so fun. I want to see that. I want to see a clip of, of you guys. Not exactly news. Yeah. <laughs> I want to look it up. I love that. Dave's the best. Dave was the last guest on this podcast before the pandemic. And it's so funny to listen to because we're like, he was, where was he? He was supposed to, oh, we had a caller who was supposed to go to Disney World. And Dave and I were like, yeah, like my show on Tuesday got canceled. Isn't that weird? Like, <laughs> we're like, ah, it'll probably be rescheduled in a couple weeks. Like the whole conversation is like, what do you think is going to happen? Like there's like that cruise ship. We're so, we had no idea what we were in store for. 
the first nine weeks of 2020 were like the first act of a zombie movie <laughs> where like in every scene there was just a tv screen playing with yeah. like oh weird thing happening in japan and then here's a weird thing in argentina right and the main characters are not paying attention to it until a zombie is trying to break into the like the bar they're at <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that was that was my time with dave um well, Matt, this is so fun. I wanted to know, Ellen, we play this little g- game at the end uh, where Ellen, do you have jobs, Ellen, for him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. It's it's jobs that don't exist anymore, and we want you to pick which one you'd rather do. You can rank them, which one you'd rather do to least rather do. How, how okay. do you feel about this? All right. I, okay. can, I can do that. There's no name for this game. Ellen and I just throw them out. I know. I've been trying to think of a name for it, but I haven't <laughs> figured out a name yet. Okay. okay. So it's just like, which of these old-timey jabs would you rather have? And these are all jobs that existed in the early 19th century. So the first one I have here is a lamplighter. Um, you've probably heard of this guy. He extinguished and refueled street lamps every day before electricity. Like morning and night? Like, yeah, well, I guess. I imagine night, night mostly. <laughs> and then in the morning, <laughs> turn them off. Turn them off. And the second one is a lector. And this one's someone who reads to large rooms full of manual laborers uh, to keep them entertained during the day. So I guess it's before radios. Um, that one's interesting. Uh, this last one is a human alarm clock, and this person would go door to door to wake people up, like a human wake up call. They so, paid yeah. you to do that. I don't like any of those. Um, <laughs> yeah, Lamplighter seems the least appealing because you have to be up at sundown and sunup, but I don't know if you'd just be nocturnal or you just have to wake up. The sleep schedule yeah. would be really bad. You wouldn't get much time. Um, <laughs> So I could maybe just do the, uh, the the morning one. That doesn't sound so bad. I'll probably do my next day, but I, I'm not a morning person. <laughs> I think the reading would be fun, you know, because you could, you know, jazz. Oh, but the alarm thing, you could have funny different ways of waking people up. Boy, would people hate you, though. Yeah. I just think about how much I hate the song that my girlfriend's alarm clock is. And, like, if I, if I hated a person as much as I hate that song, they would be <laughs> yeah. physically unsafe in my presence. Yeah, um, that's so true. I yeah. would say the, the lecture's fun because you get to read on the job. You probably, you know, you just pick good books and you get to read it while you do it. And, you know, you'd have to drink a lot of tea and preserve your voice. But That's the most yeah. entertainment, I'd say, mm-hmm. right? If you're just... Yeah. It's the most like being a comedian, I think. So that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I have friends who do the exact same job for Audible, so... Yeah, <laughs> that's the same thing as a lecture. They're yeah. aud- voice on Audible now. I love it. Podcasters, lectors for now times. So you choose the lector. I choose the lector. Got it. Excellent choice. Yeah, I don't. I forgot to choose the stories. I would hate to read the same story. At camp, there was like on a special day, we used to have to go wake up the bunks. There was one bunk that was like the alarm clock, and they'd have to go and wake up the other bunks and be like, "It's out of uniform day. It's out of," and like bang on the doors and stuff. And everyone was so mean when we had to do that at camp. (laughs) It's, yeah yeah my girlfriend snoozed seven times the other morning what's the song oh or is it just a generic this one like, was a beat but it used to be a song of a. I don't know i know the opening i have a, uh how does it go um i can feel oh i, can, I don't i've never heard the song but it's it's a really bad song 
Um, that sounds familiar. I, <laughs> I woke up for four years straight. My alarm was let it go. <laughs> and it gives me nightmares. The Frozen song? Yeah. Like when yeah. Frozen came out, I was like, I like that song. I'm going to make it my alarm clock. And like that was it for four years. <laughs> and then it gave me stress. And now I can't hear that song because it's like, it makes me think of waking up and I'm not a morning person. Not me. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, if you want to ruin a song for yourself, I'd say make it your alarm. Yeah. 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 You'll it'll be your least favorite song very quick. I did that I did with, did with a song I like, and now the opening chords still kind of give me that Pavlovian knee jerk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, totally. All right, Matthew, this was great to have you on. Uh, thank you for having me. Thank you. Where can people find you? Where can they see your comedy and listen to the pod? Um, podcast is called She Does Stand Up Too on all places podcasts are available uh, Monday Punday on all platforms uh, and that's also my website mondaypunday.com it's also an app if you want to check that out if you like brain games I do sculptures out of clay uh, this one's half done uh, at cockblock gargoyles on Instagram if you want to check those out so <laughs> very cool there's a Bulbasaur that's old though I'm wow that one's real cool thanks these are great. I yeah. know you drew. I, I know you were you drew, but I didn't know you did sculpting. I'm not that. I like sculpting a lot more. I'm not very uh, good at drawing. So oh, okay. The sculpting I like. Cool. Well, follow Matthew and listen to his podcast. And that's it. That's another episode of Unemployed. You know what to do. Find us on Patreon. Find us all over. Uh, follow us on Twitter and go rate, review, you know, tell a friend, hire me, give us jobs. Uh, we'll be there. You heard. I'll do, I'll do very little for, for good pay. Um, that's it. Thanks, guys. Bye. Right now, I just want to take a moment to thank everybody who has supported our Patreon. This is your shout out right here from me. Tons of love. And if you haven't checked out our Patreon, all of our videos go up there. Sometimes I just write fun things because I feel like it. And it's just a really nice way to support us at Unemployed. And, you know, so we can keep this thing going. We do it for nothing. We do it for fun. We do it for you to listen to. So definitely check out the Patreon. And right now, huge shout out to our patrons, Bill Horton, Chi of Steel, Danielle McCartney, Lori Jackson, Jeannie Logan, we got Joe Galati, Chris Arneson, Jordan Lucero, Oscar Yuen, Ken Levin, and Vic Terry. Thank you so much. You have no idea how much it means to us, and I appreciate you, and I see you, and I love you. <laughs> <laughs>